I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Gregory Purden, Chief Investment Officer of Arbuthnot Latham. I want to talk first, Gregory, about the kind of key themes and trends you see in the wealth management world, in the investment world at the moment, and, and in particular, this idea of helicopter money. Robert, thank you so much for having us with you today. Uh, I'm delighted to commence with a little bit of a, a tour on some of the mega trends which are impacting uh, the global markets. Uh, really, there are three big trends. That's fiscal spend. So governments trying to assist directly uh, with targeting measures to uh, essentially promote consumption. Uh, there's the monetary, uh, which we can come back to in a, in a minute or two. And that's really much about, about the central banks doing everything they can to orchestrate unconventional monetary policy to help ease financial conditions. And of course, there are vaccine rollouts, which of course is not a, a financial a trend, uh, but it certainly has a significant impact on financial markets. And what I mean by that, to crystallize for your audience, is that ever since the vaccinations have been uh, released, all of a sudden we've seen a huge rotation into value stocks out of growth stocks. And I suspect um, as vaccinations continue to roll out, that trend will indeed continue. Let's get into the monetary aspects. This idea of helicopter money. Now, you can tell me I'm wrong because I'm not the economic expert, but surely this is something that's already happening in various parts of the world? Now, Robin, I have to say, I, I need to frame the conversation. I am a practitioner as opposed to an academic. I run client capital and I publish research on the behalf of a Buffalo Latham, a, a conservative British private bank. The way I would phrase this for your audience is that the reach of monetary policy is absolutely staggering. It's very difficult to visualize. It really transcends all socioeconomic boundaries. And what I mean by that is that monetary policy will affect the everyday household. For example, it will impact the rate at which a mortgage can be taken out. It'll impact the financial conditions, which will in turn impact and influence the decisions which corporations are, are making in terms of buying or selling or investing. And of course, it'll impact the sovereign yield curves. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, there's a reason why the ECB is so obsessed with the level at which Italy can borrow in the global debt markets. Now, the numbers are absolutely staggering, Robin. Uh, a couple of years ago, on the, on the heels of the global financial crisis, the four major central banks, not excluding China, but generally speaking, when we talk about the four major central banks, we're referring to Bank of England, uh, the Federal Reserve in America, the Bank of Japan, and of course, the ECB in Europe. Today, their balance sheets have ballooned to a staggering over $25 trillion worth of assets. Now, this is indeed staggering. And what's, what's interesting is that even though these megatrends are, have taken hold, there's definitely some misinformation out there. There's definitely some myths uh, about what these actually means in terms of the narrative, how it impacts uh, markets and everyday uh, people. And so what I thought I would uh, share with you, if it's all right, is, is maybe one or two of those myths. And maybe we can unravel them, go under the bonnet and try to figure out what it actually means for everyday investors and specifically uh, the financial community. So one of the first myths is all around the fact that actually many people believe that quantitative easing is a new policy, that it's only just been introduced. And this, in fact, is not true. Actually, it was first introduced in its current format in Japan back in 2001, over two decades ago. And actually, if you really open the history books, which I'm a, I'm a history buff, so I enjoy doing, you'll find that actually 
um, quantitative easing was first introduced almost 100 years ago in 1932 uh, by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Back then, it was they were called long, uh, large-scale asset purchase programs, and these were introduced during the Great Depression to help stop the, the Great Depression from continuing. Definitely, quantitative easing is unconventional, but it is not new in the slightest. It's been going for decades. Another key myth, which definitely is worth unraveling, is the whole bit around money printing. And, and I think a lot of investors, even sophisticated investors, conflate the concept of money printing with quantitative easing. And actually, it's not the same. Quantitative easing, just to keep it in simple terms, what you have is a central bank, which is essentially purchasing bonds, typically government bonds, and they're essentially taking them out of circulation and exchanging them for cash. This is not printing money. All really what's happening is that you're having an exchange, in essence, a maturity transformation, where you have something that used to be a bond, which is being taken out, and it's being replaced by cash. But actually, that cash just tends to sit on balance sheets in the form of bank reserves. So no money is actually being printed at all. It's a myth. It's the same about the, the concept of the money being injected into the economy. That's the, 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 the preserve of fiscal policy, not monetary policy. Monetary policy is all about interest rates, forward guidance, communicating, telegraphing to the market in terms of the intentions and bank reserves and also banking regulations, of course. And, and finally, the, the last myth, which is probably worth mentioning or uncovering, is all about helicopter money. Just yesterday, I was on a call with a prominent hedge fund manager, and he alluded to the fact that there was helicopter money happening right now in the United States. Now, of course, I was too polite to correct him in front of all his colleagues, his esteemed colleagues and my esteemed colleagues. But after the call, I gave him a little nudge, and I explained to him in the, in the most politest fashion that actually helicopter money uh, is not happening. Helicopter money is actually in a stylized example uh, where actually the government actually cancels those bonds. It cancels the, that debt. You have to actually give the money away. Fiscal handouts, like we're seeing in America, there's actually an adjustment in that the US Treasury is actually issuing those bonds and th that money has to be paid back eventually. So there's a big confusion. Uh, a lot of it, even very professional investors that have been doing this for years are conflating helicopter money with just essentially a tax cut, a fiscal handout. It's kind of like a tax cut. So th there's, there's so, I mean, I, we could talk about additional myths about quantitative easing and helicopter money for a long, long time. But I think we've covered probably the, the main, the key ones which appear in the media today. Let me move on to perhaps something that's a little bit more technology orientated. In terms of money, what would you see would be the impact of something like a central bank digital currency? The reality is that, and of course, the, the, the central banks don't like to come out and talk about this, especially not the Fed. But ultimately, the Fed has this monopoly because they control, in conjunction with the Treasury, the world's reserve currency. And they don't want to see that go away. But ultimately, I, I think that it would be remiss of me not to take, to, to take into consideration the fact that, that crypto is definitely are not going away anytime soon. Decentralization of financial markets has been a mega trend that's been going on for a long time, and it's been building steam. I don't think major institutions like the Fed will want to be first, first movers. It's not their style. And I think they've kind of telegraphed that to the market. They'd like to see it get a little bit more established before they introduce something. Don't forget, the Fed is not a big risk taker. I mean, 
They're certainly happy to buy bonds, especially mortgage bonds, to help support the housing market. But that firmly remains within their remit, where from a crypto perspective, I think they're just being a little bit more cautious. They'd rather be a second mover or even a third mover than the first mover. What's already been happening within the markets and within investment banking, within wealth management, is the impact of technology, the change in how things are being done. Has that overlay, if I can put it that way, changed the way you do business? I think the first thing is that the way we interact with clients has transformed itself. In the old days, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I started in this business in 1997, so I'm a dinosaur relative to many of my peers. And in the old days, everything was either face-to-face or on the telephone, and valuations were sent out once a year. Today, banks, brokers, wealth managers are investing a tremendous amount of time building up their, their digital footprint. And if you're not participating in building your digital footprint, ultimately, in a couple of years, you'll be left behind. And what do I mean by digital footprint? I mean, easy ways for clients to interact with their financial advisor and institution digitally so they can uh, see their reports, they can understand their information. I mean, I remember in the old days, there, were, there weren't very many rules and regulations around how you actually had to publish your results. Today, you know, those days are over. It has to be clear. It has to be, can't be misleading. And, and that's really been facilitated by technology. So that's on one aspect, how we communicate, how we uh, transmit the information about, uh, you know, how, how we're doing and, and what information uh, we want to share with our clients and what they demand from us. And the other is all about the investments. Technology uh, features more prominently uh, in portfolios than when I started back in, in the late 90s. I did start my career during the internet boom, which I have to say was very exciting. Uh, it, was a, it was a very different time period. I mean, technology back in the 90s was not an every part of every, everything we did. Whereas today, I mean, there, there's so many differences between tech today versus tech 20 years ago, the tech uh, internet bubble back then, and what some perceive as a little bit of a bubble uh, today. So technology, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's such a big picture. Uh, such a big part of bigger part of, of what we're doing today, especially in, in portfolio management, it would be remiss to ignore it. Will the portfolio manager be replaced by an AI? That's a hard question. I, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that I see AI very much as something which is going to assist the, the PM in, in his or her responsibility. The reality is that the wealthy clients uh, that we look after, and increasingly they're younger, and more females than they were in the, in the old days when I started. And they do still value an opinion, a face-to-face interaction. They value the, the idea that, that someone is actually going to be trying to advise them. And so the real trigger here is all around the fact that AI is going to be increasingly used by advisors to ensure that the solution which is being designed and delivered is best designed for that particular individual. So a lot more like customization around the solution as opposed to a pure circumvention. And, and I think you can draw a parallel, for example, in the healthcare sector with customized medication. Uh, in the old days, everyone would take the same pill. You might take 25 milligrams, I might take 35. But in the future, it's all going to be based on your pure genetics. Uh, customized medication is definitely the future. And I think more and more AI uh, and tech will help us provide more customized solutions to, to our client base. A targeted magic bullet then. Targeted, yes. And hopefully silver. Gregory Purden, Chief Investment Officer of Arbuthnot Latham, thank you very much indeed.